and a good Theological Thursday to everyone. I am James Crockett. He is Trey Clark. We are happy to have you back with us again this week. Whether you are listening on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, thank you for taking some time out of your day to join in listening to our discussion and hopefully joining in dialogue with us. If you would like to talk more about this episode or just discuss more about the show, uh, maybe after the podcast, you can follow us on Facebook at Good Theological Thursday, or you can contact us through email at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. But we're moving into another discussion this week. Dre, how are you doing? James, I am doing good. Um, have a, I'm having a good week of uh, getting ready for beach camp and summer trips for student ministry, and so uh, everything's going good. It's nice having a little break from school, getting to kind of just uh, have some time to Focus just on ministry, not worry about homework. So it's been a, been a good week. So Awesome. Yeah. What about you, James? You've had some uh, pretty exciting things happen this week since we last talked. Yeah, very average week. Uh, oh, by the <laughs> way, I did I did get engaged last weekend. So That's the perfect very... time for the sound effect clapping noises that I <laughs> don't <right>. have. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we had a sound effect, we would throw in the clap. But yes, I did get engaged to a... Uh, wonderful girl. Her um, name is Abby, and um, she is very sweet and loving, and I'm very excited about eventually marrying her. We will be getting married in September, but got engaged. She loved, you know, and all that. She loved the ring, loved the proposal, and so that's really, I guess, when you're going through the engagement process, I'm not worried about was she going to say yes or not, because I kind of knew that would happen, but... Who could say no to you, James? (laughs) <laughs> that is the real question. <laughs> well, a lot of girls before Abby said no to me. So, um, <laughs> but um, Abby was the best of them all. So, thankfully, I, um, yeah, I am uh, very undeserving of her. Uh, but she chooses to love me anyway, and so, um, so yeah, very excited about that. And but she loved. But the big thing is she loved the proposal in the ring, and that's kind of, I guess, the thing you worry about most is, like, I hope she really likes the ring and how mm-hmm. we do the proposal, and all that went very well. So um, we are in full wedding playing mode now. So yes, it starts been, immediately. So no break. You just jump right into yeah. that, that fun season. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're already doing pretty good on that, though, yeah, so that's far. Great. That's great. But, yeah. Good, man. Well, yeah, as I've said before, congratulations on that. That is exciting news, and uh, it's going to yes. be a great, great thing. So, um, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Well, yeah. um, let's jump into our podcast for today. So we've got a, a great topic, but before we get there, we want to you know, always hit our weekly recommendations. And so uh, just kind of reminding people, hey, here's some other stuff in case you don't really care about what we're about to talk about. You know, you can go read these other books and other things that we're doing. <laughs> That's um, right. So, James, what have you been um, kind of outside of our uh, topic for today? What have you been kind of reading? through thinking through uh this week yeah so obviously with this past week of proposal and all that stuff i didn't have a whole lot of time to get into many new things but um i will i'll kind of go back into my back catalog of i have some standard books i like to recommend to people for certain reasons and so i'll go back to a classic book called master plan of evangelism it is written by gary coleman and uh, this book is has been, for me, I read it quite a few years ago, and I have read through it multiple times. Uh, I mainly, I'll use it as a tool for uh, discipling uh, 
and mentoring guys. Um, but it is a book that really examines discipleship. I would say it really more examines discipleship from Jesus' perspective. In other words, it looks at Jesus and his relationship with the disciples and lays out some clear steps of how Jesus invested into these guys and how that was his strategy for reaching the world. His strategy was not just preaching to masses, though he did. His primary strategy was actually investing into these 12 guys so they could go invest in the masses. So mm-hmm. if you are interested in discipling people or mentoring people and looking at the value of discipleship and trying to figure out, hey, how do I even do discipleship? This is a very classic work that I would recommend to anyone. Absolutely, so, absolutely. And it's such a lost well, art. I feel like I feel like in our churches we just we we've kind of missed this idea. And I feel like mm-hmm. the average average person in our church, if you said, Hey, who are who are twelve people or eleven people or five people or one people one person that you're pouring into, you know, um, yeah. I think I think most people just would would maybe give a name, but it wouldn't be a significant kind of day to day relationship. And I think yeah. that's such an important thing in, in our faith. So it's yeah. a great great I thing. Think- it's important to point out that, I mean, it's one of the most important strategies of the early church was those personal investments in the people. And so yeah. uh, we we have – it has to be a primary part of church life for us. Absolutely. Um, so, Absolutely. Dre, what about you? Yeah, so um, in all my uh, new free time, I've been kind of going back and uh, uh, listening to a lot of Audible books. Um, so I've been uh, – you know, just kind of rotating through a couple, but one of the ones that I've uh, that I've actually started that was a new one um, is called Garden City by John Mark Comer. And so I listened to another mm-hmm. book that he has um, called God Has a Name, and uh, really just love it. It's a, it's one of those audible books that the author reads it, which is really good. Um, and so I've also started Louis Giglio uh, has a new book that he reads too. But I just love whenever the authors read it because you just really get into the book more. Um, mm-hmm. But but John Mark Comer's Garden City is just a, this kind of uh, it, it's an interesting book. I don't know if I agree with everything in it just yet, but it's uh it talks about work and faith and and, and kind of um our purpose and all these different things and how they all kind of go together and so um it's a really interesting book about work and rest um and i think it's a i think it's a good listen for sure if anybody wants to jump into it uh but yeah that's what i've been going through good good um well those are our recommendations for the week so we have master plan of evangelism by gary coleman in Garden City by John Mark Comer. Uh, that last name is spelled C-O-M-E-R. If you are interested in checking those out, we would encourage you to do it. Let's recap last week. Dre, we talked about uh, Protestants and pornography. Uh, so you want to hit on maybe a couple issues we touched uh, regarding that subject? Yeah, I mean, overall, just uh, kind of a real quick quick recap. Uh, we just discussed, you know, is porn really that big of a deal? And um, kind of walked through um, some of the effects that it has on Protestants um, compared to everyone else. And it almost seems at the f- at face value that porn is actually more damaging to people who think it's bad um, than people who mm-hmm. don't. Um, so we kind of debunked that myth a little bit and just talked about, no, it really is that big of a deal. Um, and then we ended our time with, um, so how do we combat this? How do we how do we put more grace into this? How do we how do we help that problem of of uh, Christians that are that are dealing with immense shame from this um, from maybe the mm. purity culture and say no, the gospel message is that um, that 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 there is grace, that there is hope, that there is love, that there is restoration, and that that Christians should be the best advocates of that. Um, that's kind of mm. how we ended last week. Yeah, I, I would also say. Um, you know, encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. That is a huge issue in the church. We need to be openly discussing this and realizing that this is, um, it has been for a while a 
a huge issue amongst uh, church people. But we have buried our hands, heads in the sand, I think, for a long time. And we've been mm. uncomfortable talking about it. But we've got to get comfortable talking about it. I will say, just in regards to last week, one side note. Uh, we we mentioned some resources, or I mentioned a couple books. And in talking about that issue, I would encourage anyone that wants to study this issue further on pornography. When you read books like one of the ones I recommended last week was The Porn Myth. Or I even mentioned a book called The Butterfly Effect. If you get into this issue and you start to read more deeply, I would encourage you to do it in community. Do not do it in isolation. Many of these works, number one, you got to realize when it comes to this, if you're going to dive deeper into it, you're probably going to get into some pretty graphic stuff. And so I think it is helpful, number one, to realize that. Number two, to discuss what you're reading with other people. Don't read it in isolation. I think it is helpful to talk these things out. If you read it in isolation, you can maybe even find yourself unwittingly being tempted to kind of go and like your curiosity might become a morbid curiosity where the last thing we want you to do is start reading about it and then get caught up in in pornography. So mm-hmm. I would encourage you, I would encourage all of our listeners, if you're going to delve deeper into that issue, to do it in community, to make sure you are openly discussing it with other people. Find some people you trust, find some people that you would, you think are good conversation partners and discuss it with them. So, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. But Dre, let's go ahead and move into our main subject of the day. So, a few weeks ago, we did an episode on Christian phrases that people use. And we kind of, it was a fun episode. We looked at how true are these phrases, how untrue are these phrases. But one of the phrases that maybe can come up that we did not mention, and I think and you and I both kind of talked about that this phrase deserves its own episode. It's that so terrible. It's, it needs its own episode to completely <laughs> tear down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think on the surface, we don't. There's a lot behind this phrase, and so I'll kind of put this over to you. So the phrase is let go and let God. So Mm -hmm. on the surface, people might not see – they might see a little bit wrong with it, but we might not know what all has – what's the history behind some of this phrase. So uh, you want to start us off just kind of what, what is the theology behind this phrase? Yeah, and I think this is just a. Um, I've heard it several times in the church. This phrase, um, I've heard it as the application for tons of sermons growing up, um, and so nothing against anybody who's ever taught me those things. I think it was. Um, I, don't, I don't think they used it poorly, um, but mm. but at least the way it was interpreted, and maybe some instances that you know in conversations afterwards, this phrase really became like, man, if you if you just found it, come to a place in your life where you just let go and you kind of let God do everything, like you let go of 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 all this stuff and really dedicate your life to God. Like you really present yourself, have this one time moment where you have um, made Mm. Jesus as your, uh, as your, not only your, your savior, but as your Lord is kind of the way it's presented. Um, then, then that's, that's what you're missing in your life. That's what the victorious Christian life is about. Um, if, if you're tired of struggling with all these different things and you just need to come to Jesus, have this come to Jesus moment, let go and let God. And so, um, this is really a, um, it's really a, uh, 
a form, a model of how do we understand what's called sanctification. And so, um, so every believer is, is we believe whenever they place their trust in Jesus, whenever they, whenever they take that step and they believe in him, right? They, um, have this, this moment of conversion. Uh, we'd say that they are justified. Um, that's what Protestants hold to is that they are, um, yeah. that they are, uh, legally kind of intrinsically declared before God as, as they are not sinners that, that Jesus has taken their punishment. They are, they're justified from their sins. They are no longer a slave to sin is how Romans going to, is going to call it. Uh, but then after you, you go through justification, uh, what the way we talk about it is there's this process called sanctification, which is how yeah. do we, how do we become who we are? How do we become more like God? How do we actually grow in our faith? Um, right, and so right. this is, this is where this kind of Keswick, uh, theology where this, uh, higher life theology kind of comes in this idea that there needs to come a, a point after your salvation. There needs to come a point that you, accept uh, the fact that Jesus is Lord over your life, not just your Savior, and you need to dedicate yeah. your life or maybe be filled with the Spirit or maybe um, have this rededication moment to where you really get serious about your faith, and that's kind of the way it's presented. Um, yeah, Dre, and- you, you mentioned a phrase, uh, I think before we move further, uh, and you know, we're going to talk about is there positives to this and then what are the potential dangers that you yeah. and I both see in this movement. But you mentioned the term, we call it Keswick theology or higher life movement, but this was originally known as Keswick theology. So kind of explain to our listeners, what is, what it, what does that mean? Keswick theology? And that will kind of get us into, ah. I mean, we don't, we don't want to do like a whole church history episode. I, oh, I yeah. think yeah. Dre, neither Dre or I are expert church historians, uh, but, but Dre kind of, just tell our listeners what is Keswick theology and that'll kind of give an idea of where did this idea of let go and let God, which is actually a phrase that's part of this movement. Where did this movement come from? Yeah. So, uh, the, the Keswick was, is, is a, uh, it's a name of like a small town in England, I'm pretty sure. And so it's, yeah. um, and, and so this, what, what happened there is they had these, uh, kind of conferences or you know i don't know if they would be called revivals at that point but you had these yeah, these, these like conference meetings yeah yeah like exactly and so um so you had this kind of movement that happened from this from this area in keswick and so from this teaching uh came a lot of ideas um such as you know pre premillennialism was really big there dispensational teaching was really big there um and, and just kind of like and it still goes on today i mean there's still um they still hold mm-hmm. conferences and, and different uh, talking and speaking agents so uh, what happens is in this movement, really, it comes out of the the Wesleyan, like uh, perfectionism yeah. kind of thing. So Wesley, yeah. uh, Fletcher and Clark are some of your main guys there um, that mm-hmm. that start advocating for this. Um, it's it's almost a pre-holiness movie. So it's really unfair to say that they're yeah. Kes- that they're Keswick. Um, yeah. But, so Wes, like yeah. Wesley would promote that, you know, just for our listeners, what Wesleyan perfectionism is, is John Wesley – uh, would say that it is possible for the Christian to reach perfection, not in the sense of just completely sinless, but really the idea was the, the a Christian could somehow reach a point where they will almost never intentionally commit an act of sin. That any sin, you know, people will commit unintentional acts, but their desires will be perfect before God and they will not intentionally pursue sin itself. That's right. uh, so that's kind of this idea of Wesley and perfectionism, and we'll we'll delve into the problem of that. Absolutely, second, but. yeah, this idea that you you arrive like you can get to this point, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um 
Yeah, so that kind of leads into and kind of throughout the history is, is a lot of people kind of go to these these uh, these kind of camp meetings per se, and um, and and that kind of spurs on what we know as this holiness movement. Um, mm-hmm. you, you get different, you get kind of Methodist perfectionism comes in there. You get a different other form. So Finney uh, is is a major player who kind of adapts to this, um, and then all of this kind of kind of morphs into a higher life movement and then really gives you into the early Keswick movement. And so that's kind of how it starts in history. Um, we're probably in yeah. the late 1800s right now in, in the, as far as the timeline is going. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, of course, John Wesley is, is 1700 kind of in that part. But so it, it's really is a, a growing movement over time that, that kind of morphs into this idea of of um, you get saved, but then you really need to have a a moment after where you dedicate your life. You got saved yeah. at this point, but you're kind of a carnal. There's three views of Christians. There's unsaved people, then there's the carnal mm. Christian, and then there's the spirit filled Christian. And then these are three distinct moments that you have in your life is, yes. is what it morphs into. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, we're getting into some of the central tenets of central tenets of this idea of. Um, higher life movement or this, you know, just in layman's terms, this let go and let God movement. Mm-hmm. The idea is it's almost a, what we would call like a second blessing theology. There's a difference. Yeah. So it's like we get saved and then at another point in time we get serious, mm-hmm. right? Or the go. idea there's a difference between saved and surrendered, right? So it's this idea of, okay, I get saved and that's awesome. But then there's gotta be another point in my life where I've got to surrender everything to God. And so we, you know, and these are two in this movement, they are seen as almost two punctiliar actions. In other words, they happen at a moment in time where mm. there's a moment in time where we convert and we, we become saved. But then there's another moment in time where we surrender, where we literally let go of everything and we let God. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of, maybe that's one of the most central aspects of this idea of this theological movement. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and so, what happens is is once again, remember, we're talking about sanctification. We're becoming. We're talking about how does the how does the Christian life progress? Um, and mm-hmm. so, re- really, I think it's helpful to kind of think that this is that this uh, this view. It's kind of on a spectrum, um, right? So you've got mm-hmm. you've got the Roman Catholic kind of view, which is very much justification and sanctification. Um, they don't really exist in, in terms like right? it, it's justification mm-hmm. is in in the sacraments, and it's there's not really or sanctification really comes into the sacraments, um, but they don't they don't separate those. Then you get the Wesleyan holiness kind of Pentecostal Nazarene movement that is going to be very much the second blessing mm-hmm. that you need to have. Like they will teach like if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit that you are you know, there's something wrong. You need to have this. Yeah. Movement. Then you kind of get the the Keswick one, which is this victorious life that there's maybe maybe you need to rededicate your life. You're living as a carnal, mm-hmm. but you, you really need to. Uh, they, they base it on Romans twelve a lot. Um, this idea of present yourselves, and so yeah, um, yeah. it's a it's a bad uh, it's a bad reading. I think it's a an exegetical error of the aorist. You know, this aorist yeah. um, they think it's a. They they read the heiress as a one and done kind of thing. It's a one time yeah. event, um, which very few scholars today would say that that's just yeah. a bad understanding of of time and in, in the past tense yeah. of the Greek word. Therefore, present yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. for our listeners, what Dre's mentioning the aorist tense. This is a tense in Greek. If and uh, it is called the aorist error, and it's basically that. Um, people would argue that this verbal tense always refers to a 
punctiliar action. That is yeah. an action that happens at a simple point in time. Or if you get into most Greek linguistic scholars, I mean, they would argue number one, that is a fallacy that that is, that doesn't even occur all the time. And, and it is actually, it probably not even most of the time does it refer to that. The yeah. aorist is actually just a very general verbal tense. And mm-hmm. that goes maybe a little deeper into what we need to get into, but this is, this is, they're making a fallacy on, um, how they read even that Greek verb. And most, most Greek scholars would tell you, no, that is not how it's really, it's really not that simple. And so it's, it's really an oversimplification of an understanding of this verb tense. Yeah. But, but yeah, so. Yeah. And so that's the, the idea of it though, is that they say, they take it as this is not a daily thing. This is, this is a one time consecration of your mind, presenting yourself one time. You need to have this dedication. Um, yeah. And so then after that, um, there's a, a couple guys that go to the Keswick. Um, there's a guy named Schaefer. He's actually the, one of the founders of my seminary, Dallas Theological. And so Dallas Theological mm-hmm. often gets pinned in this Keswick movement, um, which mm-hmm. today, for the most part, at least in the theology department, people don't hold to this or anything. They don't even hold the Schaeferian uh, sanctification yeah. model um, or, or, or also called the Ryrie. But basically, these guys are just really influenced by this, this conference, and they bring it back, and they kind of adopt a form of this, but they, they embrace prove upon it a little bit um Mm -hmm. and then then you get the reformed calvinistic view which basically says sanctification and justification both are an act of grace um it's not something that that you necessarily do it's what it is the it is what happens in a christian life if you are a christian not only are you justified but you will be sanctified like god is going to see this whole process through um yeah so yeah that's kind of the the scales different models of sanctification where this falls into um kind of of in history yeah yeah, I think that's a good kind of overview. Um, Dre, let's talk about some, and maybe this will help put this in layman's terms. What are maybe some, I have some thoughts on this, uh, what some possible modern forms of Keswick theology are, but maybe give us an example of, you know, I don't know if it, this idea, maybe like, it plays out in the same way it played out in the 1800s necessarily. But I would say that there are some ideas here that kind of have infiltrated how we view, like you talked about how we, how we do view sanctification and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But uh, maybe give us an example and maybe I'll give an example uh, following you, but give us an example of how does this appear and what's a modern form of this idea of like go and like God. Yeah. I think that, um, (laughs) I think it, I think it's sneaky. I think it comes into our, our sermons. I think it, this idea that um, that that you need to do something, you you need to ha- come back and have a come to Jesus mo- mo- kind of moment. Mm. I, I hear that's yeah. a lot. I hear that a lot. Like the you come to have, Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and another idea is I think it slips into you know we we've kind of almost made this this distinction between a carnal Christian and a super Christian and like yeah. those those people over there they're doing it right but I'm I'm not like them and, and it's almost like a weird comparison game like I just haven't come yeah. to that level yet or um, I'm not for sure if I'm there and it really just dis- distinguishes almost yeah. le- almost very very harsh levels in our sanctification yeah. um, which process. is which is a big problem right that it, it makes Christianity very binary right that it's somehow all right, you've got a carnal Christian and then you have a committed Christian. And yeah. it, it's not, it oversimplifies 
what this looks like. And so if, if you're going to, if you're going to make this argument that there's the carnal Christian and there's the committed Christian, well, by what measure do we say someone is carnal or someone is committed? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it, is it, if you just sin one time, okay, you're now a carnal Christian and you got to go back to being a committed Christian. And the, the Bible doesn't really, I mean, and you read the new Testament or you, you read the scriptures and the Bible doesn't describe the no. Christian life that way. It, it takes out, it oversimplifies, takes out the idea of struggle, I think, in the Christian life. And so, yeah, it's an un, it's an unhelpful distinction. Um, we're not saying that there aren't Christians who struggle with, you know, fleshly desires or carnal desires, so to say. Really, what I would argue is that it doesn't matter what level of Christian you are. You actually always struggle with carnal desires. Um, and so, so, yeah, I think it's... It makes this unhelpful, you know, describes Christianity in binary terms, and I don't think that's overly helpful. Dre, another form of this, I would mm-hmm. say, and you're you're familiar with this, with where we will talk about, we always encourage people to rededicate their life. Yeah, you know, I can't tell you growing up, going to camps, or you know, even now I've still gone to camps, and how many people. And I'm not saying these people are not genuine and the decisions they make and that it's a terrible thing that they're going in, quote unquote, rededicating their life. But I don't think that that's actually the most helpful thing, right? That, you know, we we call these people forward to come and, you know, you'll even on the decision cards, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, like councils will fill out decision cards. And it's always funny to me where you'll see salvation or rededication. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think rededication in your Christian life is some sort of single singular event. Uh, the idea of if you want to even use the term rededication, this is something that actually needs to happen daily, right? Yeah, it, yeah. There is a daily surrender. It's not like, all right, I'm going to rededicate my life and then, um, all right, we're all good. That idea will lead to frustration because what happens? You get the same. Sometimes you get the same teenager. They go to camp for six years and they rededicate their life every year. Yeah, and so yeah. I don't know how helpful that is. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that's a definite perversion of this. Like, for example, in my own story, like if you if you would have met me, you know, ten years ago, and if I was going back and, and kind of recounting my Christian life, I would have I would have said. Um, you know, I was I was saved whenever I was six um, years old. Um, I at that time all I knew about me accepted and, and trusted all I knew about God, and, and it's kind of this really simple you know trust relationship. But then I would have told you that later on, whenever I was uh, twelve, that I had a rededication. That that's whenever I got serious about my faith, and so I didn't get rebaptized like a lot of people do um, mm. in my tradition. Um, but it was definitely this clear moment. You know, it's one of those dedication card kind of things, and and, th- and that's the way I, I thought about my faith for a long. time time was this idea of like, yeah, I was saved there, but um, you know, Jesus was my savior, but he wasn't my Lord, which is a whole other concept, the Lordship salvation yeah, debate. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's tied up in this movement. I mean, all of, that's, that's what kind of gets so complicated. There's a lot of things that we're, we're kind of wading through, but, but that yeah. was my, that was my story that I would have told. And I think I look back at it now and I, and I say, um, no, I, I don't. I, I believe that, um, that 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 moment, whenever I was uh, when I was a kid in my dad's office, that 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 was like I, I remember that moment. I remember trusting in Jesus, right? And it may have been just a very mm-hmm. simplistic thing, um, but that's yeah. the point: is it's meant to grow. And, and that moment later on, um, I don't think it was invalid. That's the next question: What do you do with those moments? What do you do with people who have this similar story? Um, how do we how do yeah. we interpret this? How do we say? Well, what about that moment? Um, and I think it is a case by case basis. You know, I think that there are yeah. some people that um, that maybe that moment really is their actual first 
um, salvation yeah. thing. Um, yeah. But but yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we've just mud- muddled it up a whole bunch. I think we're just we're very unclear about what we're doing because we've added in another process. We've added in another step. Um, yeah. You know, we've made you know we, we've I, th- I think we've separated lordship and salvation. I mean, when is there a moment that Jesus is never Lord? Right. When is there yeah. a moment that grace is never free? In, in this free grace movement, the lordship salvation controversy. Um, I think the terms are just unhelpful, and I think we've actually harmed people, and and we've we've not really taught this this doctrine really well. Yeah, um, I think that's you're, you're pointing out one of the big problems here is this idea of, well, you just got to let go and let God. This idea, well, Jesus isn't your Lord yet, but you got to make him your Lord. No, at the moment of salvation, he is both Savior and Lord. Right? You know, Paul tells you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And an implication there is, hey, if you're going to trust in this Savior, you're also trusting him as the Lord. And so now you can live your life in being disobedient to your Lord, but it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't your Lord. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. You're just living in this, you're living in disobedience. And so, and this is the struggle we have is that there is a, there is sometimes a pull of the flesh that is not more powerful than the Lord Jesus. I think sometimes another thing this thing does is it puts the flesh and the spirit on the same power level. Mm. And they're not necessarily that way. We are actually, you know, we are spirit filled, but the flesh is constantly pulling at us. But it doesn't mean the flesh is more powerful than the spirit. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think another big problem with this is it, it, and, and we're kind of, you know, I've got a few, but, you know, I, I think another, well, let me go back to another modern form of this is this idea that, you know, you know, Paul will command us to be filled with the Spirit. And I think we often misunderstand what Paul is actually saying. Yeah. We almost see it as when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, we see it as, oh, we don't have enough Spirit, so the Spirit's going to fill us more. Yeah. You know, this might be illustrated in a sermon where someone will take a container and they'll pour water into it and they'll say mm-hmm. the water is like the Spirit. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in this illustration, it's like, well, if some of the water pours out, it's like, do we leak out some of the Spirit? And it's like, okay, if we you know, quote unquote, black backslide. Some of the spirits leaked out. So we got to be more filled with the spirit again. No, Paul, what Paul says is you've been getting everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. So at the moment of salvation, we are completely filled with the spirit. And so the idea, I think what Paul is saying and to be filled with the spirit is not a idea that, you know, Hey, the spirit hasn't filled you. And so you got to be rebaptized in the spirit. No, it's a, it's an idea of daily surrendering and cooperating with the spirit of God yeah. that is already completely filled you. Mm. And so I, I think that's another kind of modern form where we misunderstand spirit filling. Absolutely. And I, I think that that is, uh, I think that's the key thing here is that we, that, that I would really strongly argue against. And I would encourage our listeners to really dive into the scriptures themselves. But this idea that, that whenever, whenever this moment happens, when I have placed my trust in Jesus, right? Whenever I have, mm-hmm. um, I, I've, I've had this, this moment in my life where I am, I am, my guilt stain is removed and right. And then I'm in relationship, right relationship with God. Whenever this moment happens at that moment, um, we are given the spirit, right? This, this is a, mm-hmm. it is a one time package deal. Um, I, and I, th- I think you can look through scripture and say, well, what about, you know, at Pentecost that came later? There's all these different things, but I think people need to really wrestle with that. But what I'm going to hold is that there is not a, another 
everything that we're needed for salvation is given to us at that moment, right? We are, we are redeemed in that moment. Um, and so anything that happens after that is just growth. Anything that happens after that is, is growing up into that. Um, that is the mm. process. But, and, and that's the main difference between uh, Keswick theology and the holiness movements and really what, uh, you know, people like, uh, Schaefer and Ryrie did is they, they were very clear that, listen, at, at conversion, you're given the spirit. You may have, you may have this dedication moment later, but it's not, you're getting, you're not getting a dose of the spirit at that moment. Um, that's already happened. And so you're yeah. just, you're just kind of coming into realization of what you have is maybe the way they would have described it. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, so I think that that's, and that, and that, that's a much, I think we've got to make that, that turn and say at that moment of salvation, everything you need for the spirit, for the Christian life is there at that moment of your trust yeah. in Jesus that you are, you are ready to go. I mean, it's, you, you've got everything you need. Yeah. Uh, Dre, I want to maybe talk about a couple more, maybe negatives we might see. Uh, I will say before we get into you know, why this movement is a little bit dangerous. There are some positive things. It's important that many of these Christians, like, you know, we would point out that people like DL Moody and Hudson Taylor and Amy Mm. Carmichael were influenced heavily by this movement. Yeah. And what we're not saying, we're not, what we're not saying is that they are heretics or what we're not saying is that they are bad people. No, these were genuine Christians who did incredible things for the kingdom of God. And so, And there are positives of this, the idea that we should pursue holiness, which is something that Keswick theology really went for is, Mm -hmm. hey, that there needs to be a life of surrender and pursuing the holiness. That is a commendable thing, and we should be grateful for those emphases. Um, But so so there are maybe some positive – there are some positive things here. So we don't want to throw everything out with some of this ideology. Absolutely. But but there are definitely some more maybe dangerous things about this. Um, One of the things, Dre, I would point out, and you you already mentioned this, is this – I think it is a – this idea of let go and let God or this idea, this understanding of you know you get saved and then you surrender – it's a confusion of soteriology or it's a confusion or corruption of the doctrine of salvation. And you yeah. talk about this between justification and sanctification, that these, these are two different ways of describing what's going on, but they're not two necessarily distinct events that happens at separate times. When you convert, when you repent and believe you are at that moment, you are both justified and you are also sanctified. That is, at that moment, you are declared right before God. But the scripture also talks about that. Paul talks about that, how we are set apart. That sanctification yeah. means you are set apart at that moment and that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit into the day of redemption. Right. Yeah. So this, these both happen at the same time. Also, justification and sanctification, I would also say, apply to the whole of your Christian life. So justification yeah. like we can do the opposite thing of we say justification just happens at salvation well no justification also has implications for your whole christian life that is it is the mark of the people of god that they are righteous before god mm-hmm. and in sanctification this idea of the spirit working in you um and cooperating with the spirit pursuing holiness that is also this idea of sanctification so i, I think it's important to recognize that both of these aspects of salvation happen at the moment of salvation and that yep. they happen progressively, right? That there is a process here going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is such a I – mean, and I learned this way, way too late in life. It's such a freeing thing to know that not only is is the gift of, of my salvation, the gift of, of this extreme need that I have in this broken world to just to be rescued from everything around me and even myself, not only does God mm-hmm. meet that need, but the need to, to – 
to create in me this kind of person that I long to be because it's who we were created to be, um, that God also takes care of that too. And so I, I tell students all the time that your Christian life is not the little engine that could, right? This is how yeah. it presents me. It's not, I think I can, I think I can try harder, try harder, you know, be more like God, do better, be better. Um, that's not the Christian life. It is It is God coming in and superseding that. And that if you are one of his, then, then he is going to guide you and you will daily become more like him as you walk in the spirit, um, as mm. you as you live by the spirit, as you as you uh, do this continually and as you grow, um, the, the, it's actually a work of grace too. And so grace does not only come in justification, grace comes in sanctification. Grace comes everywhere, really. But um, yeah, mm. it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful process, and it's not um, it's not something that I necessarily have to do. It's not something that I have to come to a new another decision of. It's not something that I have missed out on that I need to that I'm I'm lacking in. Um, it's something mm. I get to. It's something that will happen if you are a new creation. You will you will grow for you will grow, and you can trust God in that. Yeah. And Dre, I think the opposite side of this can be, we can almost, so there's the one side that is, you know, we need to be patient in understanding that, hey, that this is a process, right? That it's not an instant thing. But also what this movie can do is I think it can, it can trivialize the struggle of surrender, that surrender is a struggle, that it's not... That we, you know, Paul talks about, I die daily, that surrender, you know, when Jesus says that you, if any man comes after me, must deny himself, take up his cross and fall after me, that this is a daily thing we are doing, Mm. that we are constantly putting to death the deeds of the flesh in order that we might pursue God. So surrender is a struggle. Like it's not a momentary thing that we are daily continually surrendering ourselves to God. Mm. And then, um... Uh, and then also uh, the other point of this is that it's not a passive thing, right? So the the phrase let go and let God almost seems very passive, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, if we just let go and let God do everything, I don't think that's what God calls us to do. Like yeah. God doesn't necessarily call us to be, you know, we might say be controlled by the spirit. I don't think that God wants us to, you know, let put our hands up and then that we're the spirit's like little puppet. And I think we almost treat it that way where mm-hmm. we're almost like if there's a magic prayer we say where, hey, we really surrender and then God will just change everything and we'll just be good. No, that there is surrendering to the spirit of God involves cooperating with him that we are daily struggling to be obedient to God and that we are, we are constantly working. The beautiful thing is, is that God is allowing us to work. He is working in us, but he is allowing us to work with him towards conforming us into what Christ desires us to be. Absolutely. I I think, I think the analogy that I I would use to kind of help describe what, what's actually going on, at least my view of sanctification is that, um, you know, I, I've been eating pretty much every single day of my life. I've, I've had a meal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember majority of them um, at all. Um, I remember yeah. some of them, though. Like, there, there are some key meals in my life that either were just really, really good, or maybe it was just the people that was there, or maybe it was the conversation. Um, but mm-hmm. there, there's some key moments that I... I, that really stuck out to me that maybe were, were extraordinary. That maybe there's something different. Um, but that, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I didn't eat the other days. It doesn't mean I wasn't being nourished, nourished. It doesn't mean that I wasn't growing. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that maybe that's a, a, and I think the Bible actually talks to this. The Bible actually uses this idea of being infants and giving solid food and kind of moving forward. So it actually uses this idea of, of nourishment to describe yeah. living in the spirit, right? That happens in first Corinthians three, um, and in Hebrews, mm-hmm. um, Hebrews what six? Yeah, Hebrews, yeah, um, Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews five. Five, yeah. yeah. And so uh, you do you get this process of of 
growing up and getting this. So I do think that there, you know, I look back at that moment in my own life and I'm thinking, um, that that was a really good meal. Like whatever, what was happening in that moment, what God was trying to tell me was, um, it was a rekindling kind of moment. Um, I, I don't, mm. I don't know if it was a rededication. It wasn't a filling of the spirit, but there definitely was, that was a good meal. Right. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I think in a, Biblically, you see tons of people. Jacob's life, you kind of look, and of course, it's really hard to tell because that's Old Testament stuff about what's going on. But you do see progression. You see these moments. Um, yeah. P- Peter, uh, we were talking yeah. earlier today about um, you know this morning about you know the the, the use of love whenever Jesus is questioning, "Do you love me?" But there's this moment where Peter is prone to wander, and he almost becomes a quote unquote carnal Christian for a while at the cross, right? And then he comes yeah. back. And so, um, I don't I don't think that these are defining i think i think these are important events in their life i don't think that these are um mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they describe i think it, i think it just describes the reality of a christian life that we are in process that we are people yes. in process um and that and that god is superseding that process um i think peter's a great example yeah. right it's it's jesus that that tells him hey you're going to deny me he knows it's going to happen it's jesus that calls him out from the boat and, and peter you know jumps off you know um of the boat and swims to him and jesus is the one who so jesus is superseding all of these things his sanctification mm-hmm. right um and i think that's just a beautiful picture of discipleship is that we we can trust god if this he's going to take care of us we are in process but i don't think yeah. that we i don't think we need to preach or teach that that the reason you're not experiencing the victorious christian life Life is because you have not made a decision to make God yeah, your savior. Yeah. Um, maybe you didn't make a decision that day. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're not doing this daily. But I think it's. A, I don't think it's a one time or or this moment yeah. that that we need to have. I think it is a daily nourishment. Um, just you know, if you go you go a week without eating, you're going to be starving, right? And I think that we've got a lot yeah. of starving Christians out there. I don't think they're carnal. Yeah. I think they're starving. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and, yeah. And so that's. I think that's the way I think about it. In the in the way that I. I uh, I kind of approached this my model of it at least. Yeah, I to wrap up kind of my thoughts on this, and maybe to give an encouragement to um, anyone who's listening to this. What I would say is is do not think that surrendering to God is just this one time decision, and that you're going to have a magical experience where you say some magic. You know, you say a prayer, and you you have this moment. You will have these moments. I think where God calls you back to Himself, and I, I would you know. I, I think there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, there are interesting experiences where I can remember certain points in my life where God really powerfully worked in a, in a certain way in my life. But what I would encourage people to do is don't think that, hey, that you're going to just say one prayer of surrender and then everything's going to be peachy. That, you know, understand and be encouraged that if you because some people might what can, this can lead to is frustration yeah, of that's wait it. a second I, I did surrender to God but now you know two weeks later I'm back in you know I'm back to where I was before and my encouragement is hey realize it is a process and that's okay like yeah. that God always intended it to be that way for us yeah. and so to keep pressing on that if you have a rough couple days you know keep pressing forward keep yeah. daily surrendering and yeah. allow God to in co- be in cooperation with the spirit and allow God to continue to work in your life to make you into the person that he wants you to be that's right yeah and, and I have no problem I have no problem with you know 
as long as we're teaching all the, the background stuff too, I have no problem saying, hey, let's have a service where we just really refocus and reconnect. You know, I'm, I'm okay yes. with camps. I'm okay with, um, yes. you know, event weekends and conferences and, 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 and maybe special just Sundays where we're just really as a community coming together and saying, hey, we're, you know, it's easy. We're, we are prone to wander. We are prone to, to yeah. kind of, to leave this and, and to go back to this, this nature in us. And, and so I think that that's, that's maybe the positive side that we don't want to, we don't want to throw out with all this. I think that maybe that's yes. where some of these early movements, I think even some of the founders of my seminary, they were onto that because in the church world, you do kind of get people that backslide is maybe another term that's in all of this too. And, um, mm. you know, it, it, the Christian life sometimes is, you know, two step, one step forward, two steps back, you know, and, yeah. um, and I think, so, so I don't, I don't think we want to throw out this idea of, of growth and process, but I do think we need to be clear that this is something that you are in for the long, this is the end game. This is the long run. This is something that is, um, that should become a habit in your life. It should be a, a, a learning how to practice the presence of God and learning how to walk in the spirit and not a yeah. one, one and done event. And now everything's changed from that moment on. But this is uh, a, yeah. this, this is the reality of a Christian life. And, and thankfully God gives us the grace to walk in this process. He's the one that's, that's guiding us every step of the way. Um, there's so much more of his involvement in our lives than we can even imagine. Um, and we can just yeah. trust in that we can walk in that and we can live in that freedom. Yeah. Well said. I think that can, uh, it's a good way to end our discussion on this. Uh, we, we don't want to throw out, I think Drake, kind of what you're hitting on is this idea that, you know, we need to recognize that, Hey, there are times for calling back. There are these moments where we gather together and we refocus, uh, but we need both. We need the times of, you know, maybe intense refocusing uh, I mean, Elijah does this with, you know, uh, I think God does this with Elijah when he sends him away and he's in the wilderness and he's being fed by the ravens. There's some times of intense refocusing. Uh, and there's, there's, you, I think you see that with many different characters in scripture where they'll have those times, but then there's also daily struggle as well. And so what we want and daily surrender. So what we want is a little bit of both, um, not throwing out one with the other and knowing that both are vital in our growth in the Christian life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that that kind of closes out what we want to talk about. Again, I uh, hope you it was a little deeper uh, dive into some theological issues. So hopefully that is helpful for you. We encourage you, if you have not yet, to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Spotify or even Google Play Music. If you haven't done that yet, we would encourage you to do that. If you like what you've heard or maybe if you've, you've dislike what you've heard and you uh, have some have some critiques for us we encourage you to get in contact with us on uh, you can follow us on facebook at good theological thursday you can email us at good theological thursday at gmail.com uh, leave us a you can rate and review us uh, we would we would uh, enjoy if you did that but um dre i think that's all i've got this week you got anything else that's it y'all have a good theological thursday see ya